This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, first we look at the Lord Jesus. First we look at the Lord Jesus, who has just finished arguably his most exhaustive lecture on the Sermon on the Mountain. And right out of the blue comes this leper who wants to be healed. And the Lord, as we have seen, the Lord heals him by touching him. He touches to heal him. And we know that, as we said, the teaching, the lecture, the time was exhausting. And we know that it was also exhausting for the Lord when he touched this leper, when he healed him, because when the Lord healed people by physical contact, that drained him. That drained him of what he called virtue going out of him. And there was another time, when another time we learned all this because there was another time when a woman came in the crowd from behind him and touched the hem of his garment, and the history was Luke 8.43, Luke 8.43. A woman having an issue of blood 12 years which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment and immediately her issue of blood stanched, stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee and sayest thou, who touched me? And Jesus said, somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. So that's what he said. Virtue has gone out of me, an exhausting experience for the Lord. We don't know exactly all the details, but we know virtue went out of him, exhausting. So when the Lord touched this leper, that was draining him, the Lord, as virtue went out of him. And the Lord was human. The Lord was also human. He experienced fatigue. He experienced hunger. He experienced the need for relaxation, for refreshment. But as tired as he was at that time, the Lord never turned away a person in need like a leper 
like a centurion. The Lord never said to these people, sorry, the office is now closed. You please come back during office hours. He never said that. He never said, please come back later. The Lord was always ready to help people 24-7. Any time, any place, anyone. That's what we see here, and that's what we experience in our life. This is what gives us so much encouragement, because at any time, in any place, anyone including us, when we call on the Lord, he's there, he answers. Now, just imagine what the Lord thought when he looks at this centurion. This, well, he understands the centurion was coming to him through the Jewish elders. A centurion was a, I don't like to use the term, but he's, he's almost like the SS in Nazi Germany. Centurion was a harsh reminder to everyone of the terrible conditions that Israel was under. A centurion was a symbol of brutal domination of Rome over the Jewish people. Centurion's like a captain with 100 people underneath them. That's what it's called a centurion. And there were uprisings during the Roman occupation, their dominance, Roman dominance. There were uprisings among the Jewish people. There were protests amongst the Jewish people against the Roman occupation. And the Romans didn't stand up and say, well, you know, they have an, a constitutional right to protest. That's not what they did. <laughs> they said, the Romans, the Romans, quite the contrary. The Romans, through the centurions, met those protests, met those uprisings with the public torture and death, essentially like an impalement of the bodies through crucifixions. That was the Romans' way to deal with the protests. So Rome was hated by the Jewish people, and in particular, centurions, were, since they were 100% committed to both Rome and the Caesar, they were the focus of hatred. So when the Lord receives this message from the centurion, the Lord knows also, he is going to suffer the torture and the killing as his body would be impaled on a Roman cross by crucifixion under the command of a centurion. But the Lord didn't look at this centurion and racially profile him and say, well, you know, all centurions are wicked, evil, cruel men. The Lord didn't prejudge this centurion. The Lord saw that the centurion was a very special person. And the Lord was going to break through the barriers of prejudice to help this centurion. It's what I oftentimes say to, the, to my, 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 uh, my dear Jewish people. I say, if you are going to come to the Lord Jesus, you will have to break through the barriers of prejudice against him. Well, the Lord was going to break through these barriers of prejudice against the centurions. Now, the question is, if we focus on the Lord, what did the Lord see about this centurion? We don't even know his name. He's such an important person. It would be nice to be able to say his name was something, you know, but we don't know. We don't know, but we know a lot about him. Now, first, the key word in both Matthew and Luke about this centurion was the word beseeching, which means begging, begging. This centurion was begging the Lord Jesus to heal his servant. In Matthew, we're just told that the centurion wanted to heal his servant. It's in Luke that we learn that the Jewish elders wanted the Lord to come and heal. The centurion never said, come and heal my servant. He just said, heal. The elders who were interceding on behalf of the centurion 
interjected this, uh, this concept of come, Luke 7, 3. Luke 7, 3, he sent elders of the Jews beseeching him that he would come and heal his servants. So it's the Jewish elders that interject into this message that the Lord Jesus should come. He needs to come and heal. Obviously, that come part was not part of the message sent by the centurion. We know this because when the centurion learned that the Lord was coming, the centurion sent his friend saying, no, no, don't come. You don't need to come to heal my servant. It's not necessary, and I'd rather you didn't come because I'm not worthy. So the centurion had faith in the Lord's power to heal from a distance, which obviously the elders of the Jewish people did not have that faith in the Lord's ability to heal from a distance because they asked him to come and heal. Now, this shows us something about the Lord Jesus because obviously the Lord Jesus knew in advance that the centurion didn't want him to come to his house, but the Lord didn't turn to the elders of the Jews and say, you know, you fellas got it all wrong. Uh, the centurion really doesn't want me to come to go to his house, so you better go back and the centurion confirm what I've just told you. He didn't do that. No, the Lord, what's interesting here about the Lord is he let it all play out. They want me to come, I'll come. He let it all play out. Of course the Lord knew that this was an opportunity for the centurion to express his extraordinary, and that's what it was, extraordinary faith in the power of the Lord Jesus. Now, when the uh, elders came, the Lord heard that, that this centurion had built a synagogue in Capernaum for the Jewish people, which, by the way, has now been archaeologically uncovered. The foundations of that is the synagogue, which is built in the architectural style of Rome. And uh, everybody is very convinced that this was the synagogue in Capernaum that this um, centurion had built. So it's interesting that the centurion chose to and followed through with building a synagogue for the Jewish people. Because you gotta ask yourself the question, what did that mean for the centurion? What did that show the world in the fact that he had this uh, synagogue built? Well, the centurion showed to the world that he was, by the building of the synagogue, that he was disillusioned with the creed that he had sworn to Caesar to give Caesar his absolute loyalty and only do what Caesar wanted because you can be sure that Caesar never would have said to the centurions, I want you to build synagogues for the Jewish people. I want houses of worship to be made for not for the honor of the gods of Rome, but for the honor of the God of Israel, no. So it tells you something when he chose to build this synagogue that he was disillusioned with Caesar. It also shows that this, by the building of the synagogue that the centurion showed to the world that he was fed up with the false gods of Rome and that he wanted to honor and make a statement of his loyalty to the one and true and only God who is the God of Israel. That also, the building of that synagogue also showed a price that the centurion was willing to pay. That building of the synagogue showed he was willing to suffer ridicule from the other centurions. You built a synagogue to these people that were crushed under a heel, what's the matter with you? That kind of ridicule from his fellow peer centurions, he was willing to suffer that. 
It also showed how this centurion was willing to fall under the suspicions of his superiors. Hey, you see what he's doing? What's going on here? Is he really loyal to Rome? I don't know. Is he loyal to Caesar? Maybe we ought to. He was willing. And the Lord saw how all this didn't matter to the centurion because he was determined to make a house of worship to the God of Israel. Now, next, we hear that the Lord has now heard from these, these messengers, these Jewish elders. He's heard that this centurion has a servant that is dear to him, like the word intimate is the Greek, dear to him. And that impressed the Lord of how different this Syrian was. Um, as a matter of fact, when the elders came, they said that the centurion had a doulos, which is the word for servant in Greek. It's a word, Greek word, for servant, doulos. And that's the word that the Jewish elders used to describe the sick person. He was a doulos, you know, like the naming of the Operation Mobilization Ship, the servant. He was a doulos servant to the centurion. But in Luke, when the centurion speaks through his friends about this sick servant, the centurion does not call his servant a doulos. Instead, in Luke 7, 7, Luke 7, 7, he said, the centurion, say in a word and my servant shall be healed. Now I know that all of our translations use the word servant. It's not a good translation. There's only two that, one that comes close and one that's nailed it. The Amplified says um, servant boy, servant boy. And the other one that's got it right is Young's, a literal translation of the Bible, which calls him young lad, and because the Greek word is not servant that he used. The point is priests. It's priests. The Greek word is priests, which means a boy like a son. And so this shows the deep heart that the centurion had for him. Luke 7, 2, a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die, Luke 7, 2. So this um, centurion is calling him like my own son, like a boy with a tender affection. So the Lord saw in this centurion paradoxes. It was paradoxes. You consider, you sure this guy's a centurion? Why? Because the Lord saw the paradox in this centurion who was used, centurions were used to bloodshed, yet he has a tender heart toward this boy. The Lord saw a paradox in this centurion who was a slave owner, and slaves were very expendable. I mean, if they didn't like the masters, just took with a club and one club over the head, this, that slave was dead, bringing another one. He saw a paradox in this centurion because he was a slave owner, yet he cared deeply for this slave. The Lord saw a paradox in this centurion who was part of the Roman centurions that ruled the Jewish people, as I mentioned, with a brutal iron fist. Yet, paradoxically, he has gained the respect and love of the Jewish people. The Lord saw a paradox in this centurion who was a, obviously a proselyte to Judaism, yet, paradoxically, he shows more faith than all the Jewish people. The Lord saw a paradox in this centurion who was a pagan by birth, and yet he's the first Gentile 
to acknowledge the grand fact that Jesus is God. The Lord saw a paradox in the centurion because he didn't have the scriptures to reveal truth, yet he comes to the highest truth, highest truth that there is, that Jesus is God. So overall, the Lord saw all these paradoxes in this centurion who, because of his birth into a godless family, because of his training in godless Rome, his calling to be a soldier in a godless Roman military, and surrounded by godless fellow soldiers, yet he steps out publicly to make his confession that Jesus is God. And the Lord will say of this centurion that he'll say, wow, and you know what? He turns to the foot, everybody and says, you know what, folks? He's not alone. The centurion is not alone. He says in Matthew 8, 11, Matthew 8, 11, I say unto you that many, and he might as well have said, many like him, many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So from all these paradoxes that the Lord saw in this centurion, when the Lord said that this centurion was not alone because there was gonna come many like him from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Lord caps it off in verse 10, Matthew 8, 10, verse 10, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. The Lord was contrasting the lack of faith in Israel with the great faith in this centurion who is representing others that are come from the east and the west. So what the Lord is saying here was that the advantage that the Lord gave to the Jewish people had become their disadvantage because they reduced all God gave them to a dull religion of dead works. But the disadvantage of the Gentiles, of the centurion, for example, representing Gentiles, the disadvantage of the Gentiles to not have all the advantages that were given to the Jewish people has worked out to be the advantage of the Gentiles because they flocked to the Lord from their need and their consciousness of their disadvantage like this centurion. So there's like a parallel here for people who've been raised in the church, who've been raised in a believing family, and if a young person doesn't lay hold on the Lord with his personal vibrant grasp, grip, as the centurion did of the Lord Jesus, then his advantages of being in the church, of being raised in a Christian family, becomes his disadvantage as he feels that the church has just immunized him against God. And the Gentiles, or pagans, let's say, those outside, who know nothing about God, and I put myself in that category as a Jewish person who knew nothing about God as well, their disadvantage becomes their advantage. Now, we see more of the Lord in his response to the centurion's reasonings, and we're gonna come back on this part later. The centurion's reasoning that it was not necessary for the Lord to come into his house when the Lord said in Matthew 8.10, Matthew 8.10, when, when it says about the Lord, in Matthew 8.10, when the Lord heard that, he marveled. Just think about that word. The Lord marveled. That word marveled gives us a clear picture of his response to this man's faith. The Lord just paused there when he heard that this man said that, that he didn't have to come 
He could heal from afar. He paused that, and he just kind of savored it. He just really enjoyed what that centurion said to the point where the Lord just stood there, just savored the moment of the centurion's words. It made him happy. It pleased him. And so the Lord is asked by the Jewish elders to come to the centurion's house, and the Lord just leaves. Okay, that's what you want me to do, the centurion's house to heal the servant. And on the way, on the way to the centurion's house, it says in verse 8, Matthew 8, 8, Matthew 8, 8, verse 8, it says, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof. And as the centurion speaks these words, we learn a lot about the centurion because his first word in that statement, both in Matthew 8 and Luke 7, First statement is he calls him Lord. He says, Lord. He didn't call him master. He didn't call him teacher. He didn't even call him Messiah. He called him Lord. In other words, he called Jesus Lord. And then what he ascribes to him, what he had the power to do, it's very clear what he meant by Lord. By Lord, he meant the same thing. When we call Jesus Lord, we mean Lord as in Lord God Almighty which is what the centurion meant also. And we know that the centurion didn't call Jesus Lord by himself because it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. So this centurion had the help of the Holy Ghost to call Jesus Lord. Now, his next words after he says Lord in uh, verse 8, he says, Lord, I am not worthy thou shouldst come under my roof. That was a very important point that the centurion wanted to make to the Lord, that he said, I am not worthy. He he wanted to make the point, he was not worthy. And Luke says it twice in his account in Luke 7, 6 through 7, that we saw, Luke 7, 6 through 7, where it says, then Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, The centurion sent friends to him saying, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldst enter into my house. And then the next verse says, Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. So the centurion is saying, I'm not worthy that you should come into my house, and I'm not worthy that I should go to you. This is quite a statement. And the centurion had a very solid view of himself. And his view of himself was that he himself was not worthy. Now, this shows us a fundamental difference between the centurion and the elders of the Jewish people. Why? Because the first thing the Jewish people said about him was what? In Luke, Luke 7, 4. Luke 7, 4. That he was worthy for whom he should do this. The Greek word's axios, which means worthy to the point of deserving praise. He is worthy. He deserves praise. They're informing the Lord. Lord, I don't think you know who this is. This is somebody who's worthy, deserves praise. And the reason that they said that, that the Jewish elders said that about the centurion, is worthiness deserved praise because, Luke 7, 5, Luke 7, 5, for he loveth our nation and he hath built us a synagogue. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.